dwell and staying, trying to stay warm. Um, let's, let's start this morning in prayer. If you'll bow your heads with me. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the work that you are doing uh, around the globe in the nations of the earth. And uh, Lord, thank you for the McNiffs and uh, that you've called them to Spain and, uh, and have clear plans for what you want to do through them there. Um, but Lord, right now I ask that you would just uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive from you uh, the truth of who you are and the reality of, uh, of what that brings into our life. So uh, just release your understanding and uh, and let and live your life through us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, how many of you guys were here last week when Steve spoke? Probably the majority, hopefully the majority of you. We're just going to kind of pick up where he where he uh, was last week. And we're, we're in the middle of the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter nine. And last week. Uh, as we're kind of starting off the new year, he was sharing, you know, we're encouraging and challenging you. He had four questions that he kind of asked. We're going to challenge you guys on setting some New Year's resolutions or at least some direction for what God has in store for you. So when you came in, you probably got a card and that card's going to make more sense after we uh, talk through this morning. But um, hopefully you will look at that and recognize God has a plan in your life and what he wants to do in preparing you for the vision he has. For you to join him in. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open up to Luke chapter 9, we're going to pick up right there and, uh, and look at a few of these passages again and expound upon them. So I'm going to begin reading Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Skipping down to verse 6. So they went out from the village, from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now, this was the original appears to be the 12 disciples that he has commissioned and he's given them authority and power to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Going from town to town has authority to heal people, cast out demons. That's pretty miraculous stuff like that hadn't been taking place in the world before, just so you know, or it definitely wasn't a common thing. And here's Jesus commissioning his disciples. So as we're looking at this middle part of the book of Luke, one of the things, one of the themes that we see in Luke is there's this theme, this turning point, as Steve uh, pointed out last week. Up to this point in the first eight chapters, Jesus has been about the work that Jesus has been doing. And at this point, we have a turning point. And at this turning point, Jesus is now commissioning his disciples to do a work. And he's giving them authority and power to do this work. And in this turning where he's, he's doing this commissioning, at this same point through this narrative in Luke, we see Jesus heading toward Jerusalem. So really everything that's happening in Luke is now understood to be in the shadow of and in view of Jesus turning to his place of death and turning to the sacrifice that he's going to make on the cross. And as we read through Luke, you'll start to see that. And it's amazing how this thing comes together. This call, even in Jesus' life, as he turns to Jerusalem to die, this call that he has on our lives as his disciples to die to ourselves, that we might have a fullness and abundance of life in him. Moving ahead in chapter 10 of Luke, we see another commissioning taking place. And this time he's sending out 72. So I'm going to read the first few verses of this to you. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him uh, to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. They go out. Skipping ahead to verse 17, now they come back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have, for, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Pretty amazing. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if Jesus, you know, said, I commission you, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons and preach, you know, the gospel. And I went out this week and I was praying for somebody in Kroger who was lame and they got up and started walking or someone who was blind and suddenly they can see. I think I'd come in next week with some joy, don't you? I mean, this would be pretty amazing, miraculous things. This doesn't happen on a daily basis, right? You know, as I, as I look at this passage and, and some of the passages we're going to get into, it's, it's amazing how I was talking with a friend this week. We were, we were discussing a, a prayer that I'm going to invite you to pray with me later. Um, something that we see taking place in Acts. These miraculous signs and wonders, right? And there are actually camps and, and, and theological circles that really in, you know, view these miraculous things that took place in the first century to be like, okay, those died out with apostles. And there's nowhere in here, unless you can show me, and I don't think you will, that Jesus said to stop doing that. That that was going to die out. That theologically, biblically, that's not truth. And so the reality is, either this is true, either Jesus gave authority and power to do these supernatural, miraculous things, or he didn't. But nowhere in Scripture does he say stop doing it. Now, I don't know what your background is. I mean, I grew up in a church that, you know, we didn't have people necessarily getting demons cast out of them up front, you know. But what happened with Jesus is, you know, there are instances where someone possessed by a demon came before him and they fell down on the ground convulsing and foaming at the mouth and he cast this demon out of them and the person's like screaming. Now, if, if that happened right now, I think everybody in here, but that's a little odd. Okay, I don't know if I'm going back to that church. That's a, that's a little strange. I'm not quite accustomed to that. But let me tell you the truth. That is truth because it's in the word of God. And that is what took place. And either you believe that to be true or you don't believe that to be true. But what is not true is whether or not your experience declares it to be true. Because if your experience says what you're comfortable with God doing or not doing, then you have a misplaced theology. You've placed yourself on the center of God's throne and you're viewing everything based on what you to be true and not true subjectively. And truth is not subjective. Truth is either truth and it's either received or it's rejected, but it's not subjective to what our experience is. So, as you know, you could be praying for God to heal people through you and for miraculous things to happen, you know, through you and you lay hands on people and miraculous things happen and have an experience of that not taking place before your eyes. But whether or not it took place before your eyes does not dictate whether or not God does that. 
and whether he could continue to do that. You with me? Just because you may not have experienced laying hands on somebody and seeing them come back from the dead does not mean that God can't raise someone from the dead. Because he raised someone from the dead. He raised people from the dead, as you can see in the stories being told in Acts. And either you believe God's truth as true or you don't believe God's truth. But God's truth is not subject to your experience to affirm itself. We subject ourselves to God's truth to then invite what he wants to do through you and I to take place. You follow me in this? So this is just kind of a foundational place of understanding what God's truth is and what happened as he commissioned these disciples to go out and do these miraculous things. Now, let me ask you, just because I would have grown up, I would, I would have been uncomfortable growing up in a church or, in, you know, from my experience, been uncomfortable with this person screaming out and being delivered from a demon. Now, let me ask you, just because I would have been uncomfortable with that years ago, does that mean that's a bad thing? Do you think that's a bad thing for the person that got delivered? The person who got delivered had been in bondage to this thing that was stealing and killing and destroying their life. And they just got set free from it. That's a good thing. That's good news. And just because it might feel awkward to you doesn't mean it's not good news. Because God is doing a good thing. A loving, compassionate thing for this person in delivering them. Just because... Somebody, you know, we may be having a funeral here this week or something. Hopefully not. I don't know if anybody has died lately. But and, and, you know, would you might feel it strange if you heard this person, you know, got up out of the casket. You'd be like, wow, that's some weird stuff. I don't know if I want to go to that church. Well, let me tell you, if you were the guy laying in the casket, you'd be like, I want to go to that church. That's where I want to have my funeral. Are you with me? That is good news. The good news is God doesn't change. Just because our experiences may be lacking from what we see in the book of Acts does not mean that God is not still God and he is still moving in miraculous ways. So one of the things we're going to look at this morning is is what I call a thread. And if you've been in one of my discipleship groups, you know what this is. This is we're going to look at the red thread this morning. And a thread for me is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Okay, the Scripture is laid out and has themes that take place. And this specific thread or this theme is a pillar for the foundation of our faith. It is one of these great pillars that writes everything else. Apart from this pillar, apart from this theme, we lack a healthy, solid theological foundation for all of our lives and all of ministry. So as we're looking at and expecting that and inviting you to pray for God to use you in powerful ways, then I think it's incredibly healthy for you to have this theological foundation as a pillar for you to build the ministry God wants to do through you on. So we're going to look at a few different verses this morning. <clears throat> Let me start with Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to read a lot of verses to you this morning, but I think things will, uh, in summary, make a lot of sense. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
What other nation so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Now, let me set the context for this. Here we are. We have a people, a tribe of Israel that has just come out of Egypt and they've been given this promised land of Israel, right? That is now Israel. And God has promised this land flowing with milk and honey, right? And as they're entering in this land, God's plan is to govern this group of people, this very weak tribe of people in the world, and to be the governor over them and to call them his people. And that when they pray, he will move on their behalf in order for the other nations of the, of the earth to look at the nation of Israel and say, we want to be like them. When, is there anybody else who has a God like them? For when they pray, their God answers them. That's God's plan. He wants to be the governor. His plan was not to ever have a king be over Israel. He wanted to be the governor. And so he gave them these rules and laws to live by. Skipping, skipping forward, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Beginning verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your name's sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Let me ask you a question. Who does the work in that? Who's the one working in this? The Lord. Let me read that last verse again. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I, God, saying, will show myself holy through you before their eyes. So there's a pattern here that you need to see. This is this thread. God wants to bring glory to his name in all the nations of the earth. That's this theme in this thread. Who does the work? God does. Who does he do the work through? His people. Why does he do this work through these people, his people, to bring glory to himself? Now, if you or I were sitting on the throne of God in heaven, and all that we did was to bring glory to ourselves, something would fill amiss, correct? Good news is, God is not like you and me. If I were sitting on the throne and everything that I did was for my own sake and glory, and everybody was to turn to me and give me praise, there would be a problem, because I'm not God. I'm not holy. I'm not pure. I'm not completely good. I'm a man made in his image. But see, God is completely pure. He is holy. There is nothing but goodness in God. And so because there is nothing but goodness in God and because he is holy, it would defile his very nature to let anything else receive glory other than himself. So he does all the work that he does for his glory because he's the only one worthy to be glorified. Are you with me? You follow me? It is not selfish on God's part. It is good because God is good and he is loving that he does everything for his glory. It would not be good for God to let anything else be done for any other glory other than his own glory. It would not be loving of him. And so it is a good thing for you and for me that all that he does is for his own glory because he's the only one worthy to be glorified. You got that? But here's the pattern. He does the work. He does it through his people and he does it for his glory. 
That's good news. Let's continue reading. Now, I'm going to read through these next these next verses really fast because there's a bunch of them. I've condensed a lot of different verses. I've taken just a handful and tried to pack it into a little package here. On the little card you've gotten, there's a, a bit of expanded list, but there's a lot more than that that you can find yourself that you can read through and, and see more of this, what I call red thread. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your ways be made known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Psalm 23, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Psalm 25. Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that... From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there's none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 48. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Isaiah 49, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring them uh, back to those to Israel that I've kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, the Lord is not satisfied. It is too small a thing, he says, for me to simply redeem the tribes of Israel and to create this nation again. It is too small a thing. He is too big a God for that to be the end of it. He says, no, my glory has to reach all the nations, all the creation, all the people of the earth have to be expanded to know me. And to bring glory to me. Just kind of seeing this played out. You, you're, you're familiar with the story. If you grew up in church at all, you've heard about the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is when the, the, the tribe, this nation of Israel, was, was held in bondage and captive in, in Babylon. And there's this pagan, evil king over them, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot-tall golden statue that's nine feet wide. And he declares that everyone in all of the kingdom has to bow down and kneel to this golden image that he's made. Right? And if you grew up going to Sunday school, you know the story. There are these three Jewish guys who were faithful to the Lord and they would not bow. And the king had already declared, if you don't bow to this golden image, then you will burn in the fiery furnace. The three men didn't bow. They were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was furious with them. He said, turn up the furnace seven times hotter than we've had it, and we're going to throw these men in there. They dared defile me and my decree of what I have set. So they turned up the furnace, and even the, it literally says, the strongest soldiers came and bound them. And those soldiers that went to push them in the furnace, the furnace was so hot, those soldiers fell in and died. But these three men walk into the furnace and King Nebuchadnezzar, standing and watching, says, there's four men in there and one looks like the son of God. And then he calls to him and says, come out. And so the three men come out and the scripture says they don't even smell like smoke. 
And out of the out of the mouth of a pagan king, this is what he says. Then Daniel chapter three, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give their lives rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. God has a plan. His plan is to do a work that only he can do, and he does it through his people, and the nations stand and say, there is no other God like this God. A couple chapters later, Daniel himself, familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel, now there's a new king, King Darius. Darius is actually a friend of the prophet Daniel and has promoted him you know, in the ranks of governance in, in his kingdom. And he's tricked by some of some other governors that said, King Darius, you need to create a decree that for 30 days there is no one in your kingdom is able to pray to another God other than yourself. Or they should be thrown into the lion's den. Darius seems this, sees this to be a wise thing at the moment and cast the decree. Then they catch Daniel praying during that 30 days and they bring him before Darius and Darius, unfortunately, has to enforce the rule that he had, he had commanded. And he places Daniel in the lion's den. Again, you probably know the story. Day goes by. The next day, Darius, who is a friend of Daniel, runs out and says, Please tell me that your God has spared you. Out of the mouth of another pagan king, King Darius, Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. King, then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and the men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Only God could do this. But he used his people to do what only he could do to bring glory to himself. And out of the mouth of a pagan king come decrees that everyone should see the God of Daniel. As the living God. Who does miraculous things that no other God can do. Revelation chapter seven, the summation of all time of human human time on earth. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength 
to our God forever and ever. Amen. The summary of this piece is to say, friends, when it's all over, this is what happens. This is God fulfills the work that he had a plan to do. And his plan was to bring glory to himself and all the nations of the earth. And here we see when it's all said and done, every tongue and tribe and nation kneel before him and declare his praise. Join with the angels in singing and say, Amen. So the question is asked, what does this mean for you and for me? What does this mean for us as Christians? You see, if we look at passages like we're studying in the commissioning in, in, in Luke chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, with authority and power, commissions them to go and gives them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal people and to preach the gospel boldly. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, we hear Jesus say, All authority and power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. This same pattern is true in Jesus' life. God has a plan to glorify himself in all the nations of the earth. And this is what he is inviting and declaring And having us live our lives toward, as we see in John chapter 14, just listen to how Jesus himself lived in this way. Philip comes to him and asks, you know, show us the father. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own, rather it is the father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, did you pay attention To the things that were being done through Jesus, Jesus did not take credit for. He simply said, I, the Father, is doing these things through me. I simply do what I see the Father doing, say what I hear the Father saying. Don't you know that the words I I share with you are not even my own words? They are words from the Father. The Father is in me. And I am but a vessel for him to do his work through me. To bring glory to himself. In the very next chapter, John 15, he says, it is for it is for the father's glory that you go and bear an abundance of fruit, showing to the world that you are my disciples. You see, if we're going to study and understand that supernatural, powerful, amazing things of God doing things that man cannot do in and of himself that amaze the world around us. Because that's what happened. The fiery furnace. That's what happened. The lion's den. That's what happened To the nation. God's plan has not changed. His plan is to do miraculous. Unheard of things, according to our own strength and power, through you and me, through his people that are called by his name to bring glory to himself. Let me just tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you. God's work on this earth is not about you. Good news is, it is for you. It is for you and me. 
It is because God so loved the world that He did this work of giving His own Son and His own Son dying a death to do a work on our behalf that we could not do ourselves. It is God doing the work. And it is good news for you and for me that God is doing this, that we get to receive the benefits as we submit and surrender our life to Him. But friends, where your life is about you and where my life is about me, it's not a good thing. Where my life becomes about me, dysfunction is going to follow. Now, it may seem logical and reasonable at the time to set a goal for this or that. But let me just tell you, if that, if that goal, if that ambition, if that resolution is about you, there's nothing good that's going to come from it. But as Christians, as we live our life, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, as Paul says, then I am, as I become a Christian, I have surrendered and I've given my life over. That I am choosing to lay down my will and ask God in the form of the Spirit of God, in the form of the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to come live His life through me. Now, anybody feel like they got a 100% accurate score on allowing that to happen every breath they breathe? I'd like to meet you if you do. Hopefully, hopefully you're knocking out of the park, but I still got some room for improvement. The reality is, though, friends, God desires to do things that amaze and that draw people that do not know him and that do not bow the knee before him through his people to bring glory to himself. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to see some supernatural, miraculous thing happen here at this altar. But I will say, why not? I hope to. There's this reality that how much of how you and I are living, how much of 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 the of the compass of who we are is 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 lined up against this this theme, this thread that God wants to do a work through me to glorify his name in all the earth. How much of that becomes the pillar and the foundation that we're building all our hopes and dreams and resolutions around? Because where we fail to make that the foundation of how we are to live, then we fail to align ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where you understood and received or heard a gospel that said, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is is for you and it's about you. And as, and now you've you prayed this prayer and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that then you live the rest of your life not to lose that get out of hell free card. Then you've been drinking from the wrong cup. Because with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spirit fills a man and gives a vision for the glory of God and for that life to be lived for God's glory. And if you're missing the vision of living your life for the glory of God, then friends, I've got good news for you. God is all over that. And He does amazing, miraculous things through people who have a boldness and a confidence, willing to be burned up, willing to be eaten alive, knowing that He is God and that nothing is impossible for Him. He has amazing things for you and I to go out of here or go out from wherever you go into 
and to come back with joy, amazed at what God has done through you. Let me just tell you, friends, it's not about you. We're really good about making it about us. We are. And if, if Dwayne was given this gift of healing and, and people that Dwayne prayed for got physically healed, then you know what our tendency would be? It would be to say, hey, we got a guy in our church named Dwayne and he is the man. I mean, he, like, he had this person without a leg grow a leg last Sunday. I mean, it's just amazing thing happens. So we make it all about Dwayne. It's not about Dwayne. It is about God's desire and His plan because He so loves and He has so much more compassion than you and I do and mercy that He wants to do amazing people, things in people and through you and I to draw all men unto Himself, to give glory to Himself. And how much of that being the plan is the plan of your day every day? The questions that Steve put out last week, we just reformatted and put on a card for you to take home as a mirror and ask yourself every day, am I living my life in alignment with this theme? Am I living with the compass of God directing my path that my my life is not for myself? My life is to bear a fruit for the glory of God, because where we miss that, friends, we miss life. I'm sorry if you were presented a gospel that said it was about you and that all your role to do is to be a moral person and not lose your get out of hell free card. But I'm presenting to you this morning a gospel that is about a vision for God's glory that has life attached to it. Because the other gospel will not lead you to life. It will not produce a fruit through you. It'll hold it'll have you holding on to a hope For yourself. And the vision for God's glory is a vision for others. It is a vision for His love to be expressed and experienced. And whatever your experience in the kingdom has been till now, just get ready to be a little uncomfortable. Because it's not about you. And the Lord will move in ways that make you a bit uncomfortable so that it can't be about you. So that you have to surrender in faith and say, whatever you want is what I'm on board with. Whatever you want to do is what I want done through me. I invite you this morning to join with me and pray in this same prayer that we see that we saw the first century church pray. They were gathered together and they they came together and the this is from Acts chapter 4 verse 29 through 31. And they said, now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider all the nations, consider all the evil, consider all the habits and the and the habitual sins and all the things that steal, kill and destroy. Consider all the ambitions, consider all the dreams, all the goals that are about you and that are focused on your pleasure and your happiness and your avoidance of harm or difficulty. Consider all those things, Lord, and do a work among us. Speak your word that we can speak your word with great boldness, Lord. Stretch out your hand and do a work. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed this, the place that they were meeting was shaken 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Listen, friends, we all live with a fear of man that that keep us and that bind us from trusting and believing that God wants to be God in this world and do amazing things. And in some way, think that that's about us, that, well, I don't know that I'm holy enough for that to happen through me. You're not holy enough. Or or Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. But the good news is Jesus died on the cross to make you a vessel in which he in his life can flow through to do amazing things that draw men to himself. Listen, if we make this about the signs and wonders, then we've missed it. That's that's one of my whole points this morning. You see, the signs and the wonders and the miraculous healings are like spiritual alcohol. You'll get hooked on them and you'll become a spiritual alcoholic. And you'll always be looking for the church that has the spiritual thing happening to say so that you can go run, get your next spiritual fix. Well, let me just tell you, it's not about the signs and the wonders and the miraculous things. It's about God receiving glory for something that only he can do. And one of the things, one of the only things he does are things that we see to be amazing and miraculous. That people get healed. And demons come out of folks. And I understand that makes us a little comfortable. And that's good news. Because for the person it's happening to, it's good news. And here's a reality about the good news of God's truth. It's either good for somebody or it's not good for anybody. It's good news for that person that got delivered. It's good news for you and for me. And it's good news for our next door neighbor to hear about this amazing thing that God's doing to glorify himself. And it's not about the Dwayne's. It's not about how God wants to use you. But the first thing you and I have to do is get over ourselves and think that God can't use me. It's not about you. It's about him. And he can do whatever he wants. But he desires and he invites us to surrender and to bow down to him and invite him to come and do your miraculous things. Enable your people to go and boldly proclaim the gospel. Stretch out your hand and do miraculous signs and wonders. If you're uncomfortable with that, get over it. God wants to glorify himself through you. I'm not saying you're always going to see the miraculous happen at the office at work. I'm saying that God wants to do miraculous. You may or may not see it, but God wants to move because this is who God is. And this is the desire that he has for you and for me. I'm going to ask, invite Adam to come back up. As we kind of move into a time of prayer and worship. And in the next few minutes, I'm asking and challenging and encouraging you. To come before the Lord. And invite him to reveal the things where your compass has been more focused on what your ambitions, what your goals, what your dreams are for your life. Again, the good news is it's not your life anymore. It doesn't have to be dysfunctional. It doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to live with the fear that would hinder you from being used by God for whatever he wanted to do. You can ask that he 
fill you with his spirit and you have a boldness come within you that conquers the fear that has held you back. Again, friends, the whole purpose of this this sermon is not to say we've got to see signs and miracles and, and amazing things. The whole purpose is that we need to understand that the Lord has commissioned his people to go. And this is what he does. And we need to get on board with what he does. And we need to let our dreams and ambitions align with his dreams. So won't you pray with me? Father, right now, I pray that your spirit move as only you can. And Lord, won't you expose the things, the, the ambitions that have led our life, the dreams that we have for our own lives. And, and Lord, we just open this altar to you this morning. Won't you just, uh, won't you lead people to this place to bend the knee before you and say, no longer my plans and dreams, no longer my hopes and desires. I surrender, Lord, trusting you. I trust that the dreams that you have become my dreams. I trust that the dreams that I've had, Lord, if there are good things in that that you have planned, you'll give them back. But Lord, I place my trust in you and in you alone. Father, right now, I pray that your spirit come and minister to hearts and stir up a hope again. A hope that was lost because somehow we we expected that our experience was going to define what truth was. Thank you, Lord, for exposing that lie. And let our hearts be centered and focused on who you are and what you're about. Lord, I pray right now that you would send people from this place and that there would be an abundance, even this week, starting today, an abundance of fruit of kingdom dreams and visions, an abundance of fruit take place through, through, through their life that they can't not help but come back with joy and say, I'm amazed at what God has done through me. Lord, we just say yes and amen to you, bringing glory to yourself. Be patient with us as you have. But Lord, by all means, stir us to be uncomfortable that our lives can be lived before you. And that you can grow us in faith. The offering baskets are...